Lord, we pray that through the spoken word we may be drawn to your written word and in the written word that we may find the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The story is told of a young curate who one Sunday decided to preach on the text, Hear the Church, and he preached most powerful and, and eloquently until at the end of the service his vicar pulled him up and told him that that wasn't really a text in the Bible at all and he was a bit surprised. And the vicar said, no, my boy. He said, the text is those who will not hear the church. He said, so if you want a text like that, I'll give you another one for next Sunday. He said, next Sunday I suggest you preach on hang all the law on the prophets. Well, we know that can't be right, don't we? We've just listened to that passage that contains those words and, of course, the proper uh, context is on these two great commandments hang all the law and the prophets well just as you can take statistics and make just about anything of them you want to make of them uh, so you can turn to the bible and you can find almost any phrase that you want to shore up any argument that you want on any subject that you want to talk about if you just take two or three words here and there and you can say the bible says but it isn't quite what the Bible says, is it? No. Dangerous thing to do. Of course, the Bible isn't a book, but as we've been reminded already in our service this morning, it is a collection of books. It is a library. And for those of us in the Protestant tradition, <clears throat> for most of the time we tend to use that collection of books in the Bible that amount to 36, uh, to 66. And as long as you can remember the numbers 3 and 9, you're all right, because there are 39 books in the Old Testament, and if you multiply 3 by 9, you get 27, and that's the number of books in the New Testament. <laughs> Useless piece of information, really. <laughs> it is an amazing collection of literature, but we need to take account of its setting and quote it in context if we're going to be true to its message, as Tony hinted earlier on uh, when he was speaking. The final book in the Bible was written, I suppose, about 1900 years ago. And it all comes from a culture quite different from our own, doesn't it? And some people say, therefore, well, the Bible's very old hat. It comes from a time when we were primitive. We're more sophisticated these days. We've grown up. We've, we've come of age. Oh, we've come of age, have we? Uh, well, yes, we are more sophisticated than people were 2,000 years ago. We don't go around with wooden clubs knocking each other over the head anymore, do we? We take nuclear missiles and we fire them at people, much more sophisticated. But our basic human condition is much the same now as it was 2,000 years ago. And our basic human condition in British society uh, in this 21st century is much the same as in any other culture. If the Bible has wisdom to offer, it is needed as much now as it ever was. It's the custom to give Bibles to people when they are given authority to preach in the church. I still have the Bible that I was presented at my ordination. I suspect you have yours, Tony. Yeah. And I also have the Bible that I was presented with several years before when I was uh, made a local preacher. Likewise, yeah. Uh, and along with that Bible, uh, when I was made a local preacher, came a letter. Came a letter from the president of the conference. Reverend Leslie Davison was the president that year. And in that letter, uh, he wrote, 
Be regular in your reading of the scriptures. Study this age, sense its needs, and preach to its condition. In the life of the church, we regard the Bible as an essential tool. And not only in the church. When King Charles was crowned king over the road in Westminster Abbey uh, last year, the moderator of the Church of Scotland presented the king with a Bible. Tradition that goes back to, through all the coronations, to 1689. And the moderator said to the king, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. Here is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Anyone who's called to leadership in state or in church or anywhere else needs the wisdom contained in the Bible. And indeed, we all, whoever we are, need the wisdom which is contained in the Bible. So what lies at the heart of this authority which is given to the Bible? Well, there are a number of things that the Bible is not. I want to mention three of them this morning because I think when we just focus for a few minutes on what the Bible is not, it does help us to understand what it is. First of all, the Bible is not a science textbook. The Bible begins with two amazing stories of creation. But these accounts are not attempts to tell us how in detail everything happened, however long ago it was. Far more important than how it happened was why it happened. And the Bible focuses on that fundamental business, why it all happened. God created the world, and according to the book of Genesis, took some pleasure and enjoyment from what he created. At each stage of creation, we're told that God saw what he had made and said, it is good. And next, we're told that uh, God created human beings so that they too could enjoy what he had made. So that's part of the purpose of our being here, to enjoy what God has made. And not only to enjoy what he has made, but to enjoy his presence. That delightful story of God walking in the garden to accompany Adam and Eve. And those early chapters of Genesis go on to tell us that God wanted people to look after what he had made, tend the earth, care for it. He also wanted people to enjoy one another's company, put them together, man and woman, put them together in families, because it is not good that people should be alone. And more than that, yes, we are our brother or sister's keeper, as we read in those early chapters of the book of Genesis. We are here to care for one another. Those fundamental purposes for which God has made us so important the Bible doesn't tell us in great detail how we got here, but it does tell us why we're here. And what can be more important than that? And then secondly, the, the Bible is not Old Moore's Almanac. I don't know whether you've ever come across Old Moore's Almanac. It's a monthly publication. It's been going for well over 200 years. I'm not recommending it because it's a some of it's a load of old rubbish. It's an amazing collection of all sorts of stuff that's brought together. Astrological predictions. You can also find the, the tide tables and the moon tables in there as well. But then there's the paranormal and horoscopes. Goodness, those all sorts of things thrown together. And there are those people who like to delve into the Bible and treat it a bit like old Moore's almanac. They think that it 
perhaps if they stick a pin in the right place, they'll find out exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. Or if they stick a pin in somewhere else, they'll find out exactly the date and the time when the world's going to end. The Bible does not provide us with a crystal ball to enable us to see future events. But what it does tell us quite clearly is how God interacts with us. Back in the 18th century, there was a philosopher who described God as the supreme being who planned the nation and a bit like a clockmaker had set it in motion and just then let it run by itself. That is not the picture that the Bible gives us of God. The Bible speaks about a dynamic God who interacts with us and wants us to interact with him. We know that much of the Old Testament, of course, is the story of the history of Israel. It's the story of a people created and called by God to demonstrate the blessings of living in obedience to him. And uh, yes, there are times when the story does point out what's going to happen next, as some of the prophets said. But what's going to happen next was not predicted because of the earth being in alignment with certain stars or the moon. What was going to happen next depended on whether people were in alignment with God's will or not. And coming clearly through the story of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and coming clearly through the message of the prophets in the Old Testament is that message that living in obedience to God's commands will bring blessing and sufficiency and enjoyment and living against God's commandments, living disobediently and selfishly, will bring destruction and death and ecological disaster and human catastrophe. And amidst all the complexities of what's going on in the Holy Land at the moment, in these sad and very troubling times, that simple message really still applies. It is possible to predict what will happen in the future not because we've read our horoscopes or consulted wizards it's possible to predict things about the future based on whether we are moving along in line with God's will or not <clears throat> and from Genesis to Revelation the point is made that the presence of God uh, is as relevant to our life here on earth uh, in the city with all its technology and all its complexities as it was in the very simple life in the Garden of Eden. The Bible is not a crystal ball for gazing into the future, not an old Moore's almanac, but it does give us invaluable insights into our relationship with our Creator and how we should respond to his gift of life that he's given and to the community that he wants us to be part of. And then thirdly, the Bible is not a guide to personal happiness and self-fulfillment. I like going into bookshops and, and browsing. Don't spend too much money, but I do like to read. Uh, and um, going to Waterstones or Foils or something like that is a, a great experience. And I'm surprised these days when you go into bookshops and see how many shelves are devoted to books by psychologists and some would-be psychologists who try to tell us uh, the secret to personal happiness and self-fulfillment as if that is all that matters. The Bible is not so much concerned with how we can be happy 
uh, and how we can be successful but how God can deal with our failures. It's not a manual for personal happiness. It's a recipe for wholeness because it holds out to us the grace of God. The Bible is all about the story of salvation, about how God has reached out to us to mend our relationships with him when we've broken them and to help us to mend our relationships one another when we've broken them. It's the story of God who sends messenger after messenger after messenger saying, you're my people, I love you. Stop living so selfishly, destroying one another and destroying yourselves. Turn back to me and instead of death, find life. And after a plethora of messengers, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to mend that relationship by giving his own life on the cross. And when we respond to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what he's given to us in Jesus, we find something that's far better than personal happiness and self-fulfillment. We find that gift of abundant life, life in all its fullness that Jesus offers. This is the Bible's testimony. So those three things the Bible tells us, tells us why we're here, Tells us how we can meet God in everyday life. Tells us how we can receive that gift of abundant life from God, which is not of our making, but which is his gift. Well, the season of Advent begins in just over a month's time, and as uh, Tony and Lansford hinted at in the notices, um, we have some books on the bookstore, uh, as from this morning. Well, you can place an order uh, and pay and then collect in a week or two's time. There are six books. This is just one of them. Uh, They're all books about uh, uh, biblical reflections suitable for the season of Advent, but written by a number of very good authors. They're all priced about uh, £10, except for one which comes at the knockdown price of 99 pence. And you can place an order for any of them if you go down and see Innes on the bookstall after uh, this morning's service. And I would encourage you to think about doing something special like that uh, in the season of Advent as we draw near to Christmas. Finally, let me tell you about my neighbour's garden. It's not a wonderful garden. Um, They're not great gardeners, but they do look after their plot and keep it tidy. But the highlight of their garden really is some flower boxes they have on the patio. And this summer they were absolutely magnificent. The blooms were wonderful. A riot of colour and they looked so healthy and they lasted for weeks and weeks. And my wife said to them one day, what's the secret? And the answer was simple. We give them plant food regularly. If we want to be beautiful and useful for God, then we need to be fed. We need to be well fed up. I don't mean fed up. I mean well fed up. The Bible contains God's word to us. And it's a great feeder, food for our minds and food for our souls. Thanks be to God for his word. And I'm going to use that famous collect, which is associated and linked with Bible Sunday, and invite you to pray with me now. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, 
grants us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.